to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look this morning at verses 6 through 13. And let me just read the opening verses of this and see if you can pick out the theme. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. That's right. The theme is wisdom. Now what is wisdom? Some people equate wisdom with common sense, or they would call it horse sense. You know what horse sense is, don't you? It's horse sense that keeps a horse from going out and betting on a bunch of people running around a track. Someone has said horse sense is actually just stable thinking. Forrest Gump didn't have intelligence or high IQ, but he had common sense. Mama always said, stupid is as stupid does. Life is like a box of chocolates. There's an awful lot you could tell about a person by their shoes. Where they're going, where they've been. There's a story in the book that I don't think shows up in the movie, but Forrest and his roommate are at the University of Alabama, and they're on their way to football practice. And his friend's car has a flat tire, and so the friend takes the flat tire off, and uh, he places the lug nuts in the hubcap, and then he accidentally tips the hubcap over, and it goes down the drain into the sewer. And the friend is upset because they're going to be late and incur the wrath of Bear Bryant. And Forrest suggests taking one lug nut off the other three tires and put it on the spare, and that would get them to practice. And his friend says, how could you think of that? You're an idiot. And Forrest says, I may be an idiot, but at least I'm not stupid. (laughs) You know, it's great to have common sense. But that's not the wisdom that the Bible talks about. Other people say that wisdom is the application of knowledge. I've heard preachers say that. Wisdom is knowing something and applying it. And while it's true that you can know a whole lot and not have any sense, you can know a whole lot and not apply it, that's really not the wisdom that the Bible talks about. In fact, if you look at verse 6, Paul says we speak this wisdom. And he says in verse 8, the rulers of this age don't understand wisdom. You see, wisdom is not about knowing something and not applying it. Wisdom is about not understanding it at all. See, the wisdom that the Bible talks about is different. It's called in verse 7, God's wisdom. I'm going to distinguish it today by calling it true wisdom because there's a lot of false wisdom around. If you want a simple definition of true wisdom, wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. 
Wisdom is understanding the big picture. Wisdom is understanding where you came from and why you're here and where you're going. It's understanding what God is doing in this world. You say, well, why does Paul bring up wisdom right here at this point in this book? Well, if you've been with us, you know that we're in the middle of a section where Paul is dealing with the first of many problems in the church at Corinth, and that was the problem of divisions. And these Christians were living in a Greek society that was saturated with philosophy. They exalted human wisdom. And they thought very highly of individuals who either initiated or advocated certain philosophies. And that attitude had come into the church so that they exalted certain ideas and exalted certain teachers. And so beginning back in chapter 1 and verse 17 and continuing all the way into chapter 4, Paul is showing that these Corinthian believers that human wisdom is useless. It's unnecessary. It has nothing to offer. In fact, in chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. You see, human wisdom can't see the big picture. If you go down on Broadway, they've got a display of some of our peak some of our seniors' uh, artwork. I'll put in a plug for my daughter. Hers is down there. But I went down there on Friday when they opened, and let's say I went in and she has some artwork there, and I walked in, and there's the piece of art, and I put my nose against it and go, you know what? It's kind of blurry. All I see is a blend of colors. It really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And she says, well, why don't you step back and get the big picture? You see, that's the world. We're, people in the world, their wisdom is their nose is against the picture and they're trying to figure out what this world is about and they have no idea. It's just a blur of colors. God has wisdom from His perspective because He knows what's going on. Now it's interesting, since Paul has rejected the world's wisdom and he indicated in chapter 1 and verse 18 that the world considers our message to be foolish. In fact, in chapter 1 and verse 21, he called us foolish. Because he's done all that, now he wants to tell us that there is another kind of wisdom. There is true wisdom. There is God's wisdom. And it's available. And so the question is, how do we get true wisdom? And these verses give us a three-part answer. It's listed in your bulletin. Number one, true wisdom is revealed to the children of God in verses 6-9. to Notice verse 6 again. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Although we have rejected the world's wisdom, we don't reject wisdom. We speak a wisdom that is infinitely higher than the world's wisdom. Now, how can you tell when somebody's speaking God's wisdom? Well, it doesn't mean that they speak in Christianese or theologianese. It isn't that they go around talking about transubstantiation and postmillennialism and asking you what your kenosis theory is. You kind of go, whoa, man, that guy's wise. He knows terms I don't even know. That's not what he's talking about. See, the message is always the same. Paul told us the message in chapter 2 and verse 2. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
The message is the simple Gospel. It's simple enough for a child to understand, and yet it's so profound that the most brilliant theologian can't fathom its depths. Now who speaks this wisdom? Well, look at verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. That word mature is also translated in Scripture complete or perfect. The term can be used of all Christians. In Hebrews 10.14 it says, For by one offering He has perfected, there's the word, for all time those who are sanctified. So in that sense we are all perfect. We are all mature. But it's also used in Scripture of spiritual maturity. In this same book, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20, Paul says, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, he reprimands them for being spiritual babies. So it can be used of all Christians, it can be used of those Christians who are mature. You say, well, which one is he referring to here? Well, I think he's referring to both. You see, when I became a believer in Jesus Christ, I came into God's wisdom. In chapter 1 and verse 30, he says, Christ is made unto us wisdom. The moment I entrusted my life to Jesus Christ, I went from someone who saw the gospel as foolishness to to seeing the gospel as the wisdom of God. Even though I didn't understand all of the details and all of the intricacies about the cross of Jesus Christ. But you know what I've noticed as I mature in Christ? I see the cross. The message hasn't changed, but I see the cross with more layers of the wisdom of God. It's not that the doctrines become more complicated or more intricate. It's just that God's wisdom becomes more and more and more evident to me. And that's what he's talking about here. We speak wisdom. Even though we are the foolish things of the world, we speak wisdom. Now notice three things about true wisdom that make it unique to God's children. First of all, it's unchangeable. Look at verse 6 again. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. The world's wisdom is of this age. The wise people and their wisdom is passing away. All the books that I studied in high school are obsolete. They have to be updated every year because all of man's wisdom changes. That's why it's hard to keep up with the latest in the world's wisdom. It's really a passing fad. I find it difficult even to stay streetwise. You know, I was, uh, in fact, I, I go to James all the time. I say, James, you know, there's a word I used to use when I was younger, and I want to know what it means today. You know, do we still say groovy? I think groovy went out and came back in, didn't it? Anyway, I'm always asking James to check to kind of see if I'm streetwise. We had a a staff meeting out at, or not a meeting, we had a meal out at Patrick's, and I went out and uh, wore my white socks and sandals. Now, in the early 80s, that was pretty cool. But I found out that's not very cool. It's, It's very comfortable, 
but it's not very cool. My wife had a, a doctor's appointment in St. Louis last week, and we went up there, and I noticed three different ladies called me baby. I don't have a clue what they... I, I'm checking out, you know, the car, out of the car lot at the hospital. I hand her the ticket, and she says, here you are, baby. Baby? I'm like, what does that mean? Is that an insult, or is that a compliment? I'm not sure. Man's wisdom is always changing, but God's wisdom is unchangeable. It's eternal. In fact, look at verse 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, notice, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Man's wisdom is of this age. God's wisdom is before the ages, and it lasts after the ages. It is eternal. It is unchangeable. Secondly, it's undiscoverable. A person can't discover true wisdom by natural processes. Look at verse 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom. Now notice, That term mystery in Scripture always means something that people cannot derive on their own. When something is a mystery, it's something I cannot figure out apart from God revealing it to me. That's a mystery. And then it says on top of that, it's hidden. In 2 Corinthians 4.3, it says, but if our gospel is, is hidden, it is hidden to them that are lost. And there he tells us who, is, who it is that's hiding it. It's the God of this world. It's Satan. So God gives it to us in a mystery that can't be understood naturally. Naturally, it can only be understood by his revelation. Then on top of that, Satan hides it from men. Now again, understand me. I'm not talking here about intelligence. Mankind has great intelligence. And they do great things with that intelligence. They're doing laser surgery today and and hip replacements and knee replacements and organ transplants and we've got computer-generated stuff that just baffles my mind. Some of my best teachers were non-Christians. They taught me English and history and math. But you see, when it comes to the ultimate questions, where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going, that's a hidden mystery to unbelievers. And then Paul gives two illustrations to show that true wisdom is undiscoverable by natural means. Illustration number one is from history. Notice verse 8. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now he refers to the rulers of this age in verse 6 as well. And that's a phrase talking about the kings and princes and governors and people of power in this world. It's obviously in contrast to most Christians because back in chapter 1 and verse 26, he said most of us are not mighty and not noble. Now specifically in verse 8, when he talks about the rulers of this age, he's referring to Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas. They obviously weren't very wise because they crucified the Lord of glory. 
Now, I love the way he uses that title. He doesn't just say they crucified Jesus. He gives them a title of deity. He is the Lord of glory. And I think what he's saying is, how stupid can you get? How unwise can you get than to kill God? And so, you want to know that wisdom is undiscoverable naturally? Man in all his human wisdom put to death the Lord of glory. And Jesus acknowledged that they didn't know that even when He was on the cross. You remember He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. First illustration is from history. Second illustration is from Scripture. Verse 9. But just as it is written, and He quotes from Isaiah 64, 4, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Scripture confirms that true wisdom is undiscoverable. Can a person figure it out objectively? No. It can't be known through senses. can't be known through the eye. can't be known through the ear. Can a person figure it out subjectively? No. It can't be known through reason. You can't reason it out in your heart. You see, a person can't discover true wisdom on his own. It's undiscoverable by natural processes. And then thirdly, it's unimaginable. Now what's unimaginable? You say, I know what's unimaginable. What's unimaginable is that verse 8 says they crucified the Lord of glory. Well, that's certainly unimaginable from our perspective. But you know, from God's perspective... That's the very center of His wisdom, the cross of Jesus Christ. What's unimaginable is that the mystery, the thing that's hidden, what's unimaginable is that God's big picture culminates in the last three words of verse 7. You see that? Which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's pretty unimaginable. That God's big picture of all time is all about our glory. In God's eternal plan, the foolish things, the weak things, the base things, the despised things, the things that are not, are going to get glorified. That's unimaginable. The Lord of glory gave up His glory to be shamed and humiliated on the cross so that you and I could share His glory. Wow. And then we see it again at the end of verse 9. Verse 9 says, "...things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has, notice, prepared for those who love it's all prepared for us. That's unimaginable. Now verse 9 is one of the most often misunderstood verses in the Bible. People quote this verse, and then they say, see, we have no idea what heaven will be like. We have no idea what God has prepared for us, but they don't read into the next verse. 
Because notice what verse 10 says immediately afterwards. It says, even though eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it has not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him, for to us, God revealed them. What's he saying? He's saying that the natural eye can't see it, the natural ear can't hear it, the natural heart can't understand it, but God has prepared it for us, His children. Want me to remind you of a few things He's prepared for you? Psalm 23 says He's prepared a meal for you. John 14.2 says He's prepared a home for you. Hebrews 11.16 says He's prepared a city for you. And Revelation 21 and 22 give us all the details. It says in that city... We won't need the sun or the moon because the glory of God will illumine it and its lamp will be the Lamb. And then let me get, throw in one more. He's prepared, Matthew 25, 34 says, an inheritance for you. And there it says, we will inherit the kingdom. I'm, I'm baffled by that, that we are. In fact, uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 17 says, we are joint heirs with Christ. So if you want to know what your inheritance is, you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 1-2 says He is the heir of all things. So He is the heir of all things and you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ which means you are going to inherit everything. That's pretty good. You see, true wisdom is revealed to the children of God. Part two of the answer. True wisdom is revealed by the Spirit of God in verses 10 to 12. If we couldn't understand this on our own, how, how do we get it? If we, if we couldn't perceive it with our eyes and our ears and our how do we get it? Look at verse 10. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. You say, well, Dan, is, is the Spirit a good one to kind of communicate this stuff to us? Does he really know? Well, look again at verse 10. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things. That's a lot. All things, even the depths of God. He knows everything God knows. And He's revealing wisdom to you. And then He gives us an illustration in verse 11. And I want you to see this. He says, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? See, I can say I know you, but I really don't know you like you know you because you've got a spirit inside of you. And you can say you know me, but you really don't know me like I know me. And I don't want you to know me like I know me. You see, my spirit knows not only what I say and what I do, my spirit knows what I think. And then notice the rest of verse 11. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. In the same way, the one who knows the thoughts of God, the deep things of God, is the Spirit of God. 
Now that's what makes verse 12 so exciting. Notice what he says. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Wow. If I really wanted you to know me, and I could actually take my Spirit out and put it in you, you would really know me. Guess what? That's what God has done. God has taken His Spirit and placed it inside of us so that He is our teacher. He is revealing to us the things of God. Talk about having God's perspective. We have God living inside of us. That's exciting. That's why Peter on that occasion, you remember when Jesus asked him, well, who do men say that I am? And they had some answers. And then he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus was kind of shocked. He said, well, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, there is wisdom available to us that we don't get by flesh and blood. We don't get by our eyes and our ears. We don't get from our own heart. We get it from the Spirit of God. True wisdom is revealed by the Spirit of God. And then the third part. True wisdom is revealed in the Word of God. Look at verse 13. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, verses 10-12 to tell us that God's wisdom is revealed by the Spirit of God. Verse 13 tells us that He reveals that wisdom through words. What words? These words. The Spirit of God took the spiritual thoughts of God and communicated them, them to us in spiritual words. That's inspiration. And then the same Spirit takes those words and teaches us that's illumination. Sometimes people ask me, well, Dan, why do you cover every word? Well, because every word is from God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you want to gain wisdom, immerse yourself in the Word of God. And when you immerse yourself in the Word of God, don't rely on your own human wisdom. Look again at verse 13, right in the middle of the verse. He says, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. You know, sadly today, a lot of people come to the Word of God They read what it says and then they process it through their own human wisdom to try to understand what they really think it means rather than letting the Spirit of God teach them out of the Word of God. And sadly, human wisdom has crept into the pulpits of a large number of churches today. For instance, the Bible tells us that Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus tells us that Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. So that ought to finish the conversation. But about a hundred years ago, along came the rationalists who said, if we can't rationally comprehend something, then we can't accept it. And their conclusion was that Moses could not have written the law because he didn't have enough information back then. 
So if you go to some of the churches in Cape Girardeau or Jackson and you ask the preachers if Moses wrote the Pentateuch, you know what they're going to say? No. And you'll say, well, who wrote the Pentateuch? And they will tell you, J, E, P, and D did many years after Moses. And even later, they all edited that material and put it together. In fact, I had a preacher in town tell me that Moses could not even write. And I said, well, that's funny. The Bible says God spoke to Moses and Moses wrote it down. And he said, well, that's an error. See, that's coming to the Word of God and bringing your own human wisdom. And it corrupts the Word of God. Of course, the rationalists were kind of blown off the track several years ago when they discovered the Code of Hammurabi, which was an intricate system of laws which predated Moses. So take that. The Bible teaches that God created the heavens and the earth in six days. Human wisdom says the only reasonable explanation for our existence is evolution. Man had his beginning in a primordial puddle. Some single cell, little such and such, whatever you call them, was was there and and, uh, he was kind of unhappy and lonely. And so he decided to multiply and he multiplied and multiplied and voila, here we are. Now, I know that's a simplistic explanation, but if you make it more complicated, it still doesn't become more true. So you've got creation on one hand and you've got evolution on the other hand. You know what a large number of preachers espouse? Theistic evolution. God made the puddle. And then it all started to evolve and evolution took over from there. And whenever there was kind of a problem in the process, a gap, you know, a worm couldn't grow a wing or something, God would step in and help the process. So He was just kind of, you know, doing this. And at some point, somewhere between ape and man, God zapped man with a soul. What is that? Well, that's human wisdom corrupting the Word of God. Even though the Bible has a great deal to say about guilt and fear and relationships, even though the Word of God is filled with exhortations and encouragement, many preachers got their education in Freudian psychology, and that's what their sermons consist of. It's Freudian psychology, and they sprinkle some Bible verses into it. Well, I minored in psychology. In my opinion, God doesn't need Freud. Freud needed God. came across a newspaper article the other day with this headline, Goliath's secret out. He was a weakling. Dr. Pauline Rabin, a psychologist, and her husband, Dr. David Rabin, an endocrinologist, both of Vanderbilt University, came up with an explanation for how David could have killed Goliath with a slingshot. 
They say that Goliath suffered from a glandular problem, a rare disorder called endocrine neoplasia that made him extremely docile and weak. That he was lethargic and half-blind. And he really couldn't even make out who David was or anything about David. So David walked up and here he is just sort of like this. And he can't really see and David came out. And that's how David could just pick him off with a stone. And the funny part of the article was that they claim that, quote, there is considerable evidence in the Bible for this. Yeah, right. He was so docile and weak that the whole army of Israel was scared to death of the guy. You see, that is human wisdom corrupting God's Word. Do you want true wisdom? It's revealed to the children of God. You've got to be a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. It's revealed to the children of God. It's revealed by the Spirit of God who dwells inside of us. And it's revealed in the Word of God. If you're a believer walking in the Spirit with your Bible open, you are wiser than Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and Soren Kierkegaard and Jean-Paul Sartre combined because you have got God's wisdom. You have got true wisdom. And that would be my message this morning to the graduating seniors. To not worry about gaining all of man's wisdom. Concentrate on gaining God's wisdom. It comes in real simple fashion. Be a child of God. Be submissive to the Spirit of God within you. And saturate yourself in the Word of God. Patrick. Some of our parents and our graduates have prepared